Well, again, we get to come and we get to look at the Gospel of Mark. We're actually going to spend this week and next week in the Gospel of Mark, and then we're going to take a couple months out of the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to look at the the book of Proverbs um, in a series on the follies, seven follies. And so we're going to spend about eight weeks in Proverbs. I'm excited about that, but um, I, I just have so enjoyed Mark. I've enjoyed looking at Jesus and the way that he interacts with people, the way that he has the mission, the greater mission in mind, but it doesn't stop him from seeing brokenness and reaching in and meeting the needs of the broken. I've enjoyed his declaration that the kingdom is at hand. And so this morning, as we spend time looking at what does the kingdom look like, as Jesus tells us another parable, and it's a short parable, but it's packed with a lot of truth, and so we're going to look at that this morning. You see, when he says, and he said, the kingdom of God, Jesus is all about the kingdom of God. So many of his beginning to teach, the the times when he begins to teach, he begins with, this is what the kingdom of God is like. He's already pronounced that the kingdom of God has come in the first chapter. In his being there, the king has arrived. And so now what does the kingdom look like in light of that king? But sometimes I think we jump right to uh, that pronouncement. We forget to set some context. The reality is that Jesus is making these proclamations in a time where people are are not experiencing what they would consider the kingdom of God. The Pillar New Testament commentary, which has been super helpful in our time in Mark, says says it this way, one could never imagine the conclusion from the beginning. So looking at the only having the beginning, you wouldn't imagine what the conclusion looks like. And he says, such is the kingdom of God. You see, we tend to think, And we tend to forget that when Jesus is is coming onto the scene, Israel is going through a time where they don't have a sovereign nation. They They had been set apart, ordained as a nation by God. Then they split into two nations, and both nations were taken into captivity. And so now they're puppet kings under this ruler, Rome. After they had been puppet kings under Babylon and Persia and Greece. And so they are not experiencing a kingdom that is giving them hope. But they've been given all these promises, but even those promises were more than 400 years ago because the prophets are silent at this point. And so this is where Christ comes in. He proclaims that the good news is, remember long, long ago, the news that you heard that a king was coming from him here. John the Baptist has testified to that truth. And yet, that's hard for them to believe. (laughs) Having seen the beginnings and, and God establishing, and then now at this point, it doesn't look like any of it's happening, and Jesus is coming, and he's very slowly again pronouncing, no, the kingdom is at hand, and it's not what you thought. And And we're given even this testimony of what what the final kingdom would look like, what the harvest is going to look like. But it's all done in a way that is not what we would expect. Jesus teaches. He fishes. 
He hangs out with people and has dinner at their place. And he goes to uh, those that are shunned, the lepers. He goes to the demon-possessed. He goes to places that we would not go, bringing the kingdom to places that we would not bring in. In a way that no one expected. And so we have to remember that. Like we have the whole of the story, but in this moment, they only have probably frustration, anxiety, fearfulness, and Jesus is coming and he's saying, no, it's okay. Here's what the kingdom of God is like. And the humility that he would come and say, it's like a, like a farmer that spreads seed. They're like, man, this is not what we signed up for. Right? Again, the New Testament commentary says, God does not hurl the kingdom as Poseidon does his thunderbolt. That's the way we want it to happen. Noah loves reading all of the Percy Jacksons and all of the Greek mythology, and that's how those gods did it. They came with power. Poseidon throws the thunderbolt. And yet here, Jesus says that God plants the kingdom as a seed, present even now in the ministry of Jesus, hidden and imperceptible, but portending both a harvest and a judgment. It does not come the way that every other um, religion set it up for to come, the way that all the stories set it up to come, Jesus comes in a different way. And he comes humbly, born humbly. Even his ministry is incredibly humble. And now he tells a parable about a farmer who spreads seed. That is not what we're expecting. And it's not what the people were expecting. And yet in it is truth for us today, so I pray that we would hear. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that this morning God, I just think about even the things that I would ask of you and then the expectations that I would have of how you would do them. And I have no right to do that, God. So Lord, I pray that you would blow up our preconceived ideas this morning that you would shatter our expectations and that you would come in the way that only you can come, humbly and kind and patient with me and us. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that you are uh, proclaiming this good news humbly and kind and patiently throughout the world. God, that seeds would be planted today that would look like just regular ground for a long time until that sprout comes up, until it begins to grow. God, we pray that you would, by your word, cause seeds to be growing today. We pray that your Holy Spirit would bring the rain and the water and everything needed for growth. God, and that we would rest in that today, Lord, and that there would be um, that that would go throughout the world, throughout Brevard County, Lord. I think of the other Cross Point Coast congregations, Lord. I think of um, the Mittens in South Africa, Lord. I think of the Dumfies, uh, the Ganyers, Lord, the Wego, the different ministry partners we have, Lord. And those are just the ones that we know that are, that are spreading this gospel seed, but there's so much more, God. Would you do that? Would you bring your kingdom today? We thank you that we pray this with confidence because you've already said your kingdom has come. And so, Lord, we just rejoice in that. Give us ears to hear today. Give us eyes to see. 
May we behold you and just be in awe. And may that awe produce a change in us. May we be transformed and conformed to your image. In Jesus' name, amen. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. Listen, this is obviously pointing back to um, some, some of the implications of, this, of the sower, the parable of the sower that we talked about two weeks ago. And we saw that that one, while focused on mainly the soil, the different soils that the, the seeds would, would not grow in, except for the one good soil that it would grow in. This one's talking about good soil. The seed that's being planted is planted in good soil. So this parable is describing not so much what, what it takes for the seed to grow in what kind of soil, but how does the seed grow? The kingdom of God is as a, if a man should scatter seed on the ground. We talked about how the farmer or, or the planter would scatter indiscriminately. He would throw it wherever he went. And that seed would fall and it would, it would be planted and sometimes it would uh, grow up quickly without um, deep roots. Sometimes it would be snatched away. Sometimes the, the, it just wouldn't grow. The, the, um, the weeds would choke it out. And then sometimes every once in a while it would fall on good ground and it would grow up. You see, the idea of the seed being scattered... Jesus is coming, and and again, it's challenging the expectations that they had. The New Testament commentary um, by Hendrickson says this. He says, this parable stresses God's sovereignty as displayed in the matter of man's salvation and its effect in every sphere of life. You see, what we're given first off is these two different things. One is what the man does, and one is what the seed does. And we desperately want to connect those two things. Like, like we want to have some say, as man, what that seed's going to do. What does it look like in our lives? But Jesus is using this very short parable, and actually he's coming to some very clear ideas on the doctrines that we have. We have, we have some really big words that the Christian church holds out as doctrines. The doctrine of soteriology, and soteriology is the study of the doctrine of salvation. We have eschatology, which is the study of end times and what it looks like at the end. And then we even have uh, ecclesiology, is like this, the study of the church. What does the church look like? What does it do? And all three of these things, I see them in this very short four-verse passage that Jesus talks about. And so when we talk about salvation, we want to say, well, we had some sort of say in that. But you look at the passage, the man sows seed, and then what does he do? He goes and he sleeps and he rises, and he sleeps and he rises. Doesn't do anything else with that seed. That seed is sown. But the seed itself grows up, and it, and it grows up almost untended. It grows out of the earth without anything else. And so when we think about the salvation, and, and God is clear, when he ex- Jesus is clear when he explains the parable of the sower later on to the disciples, he said, hey, the, the seed is the word of God. And so this morning as we look at the seed and what it does, the word of God 
is planted in our hearts. We don't receive it or reject it, it's planted. Now, there is, a, there is a portion that we play, but ultimately God is responsible for putting that seed out. He is the one that is scattering the seed. He is the one that is tossing the word, he's the one that's speaking the word into our hearts. He's already changed our hearts. We talked about that last, two weeks ago when we talked about, hey, we can't do anything to make that ground more fertile in and of ourselves. We can't, as the ground, we don't expel the rocks. We don't kill the weeds. We can't fend off the birds. That ground has already been made fertile by the work of the Spirit in our hearts, a regeneration of our heart, that we would take the seed, that we would hear the Word of God, and that we would believe it. And so this idea of the doctrine of salvation is is clear. God puts salvation into the hearts of man, and we believe those things. Because of the gift of grace. If we bring anything else to it, we're negating the grace that we've been given. The gift that we've been given that we would believe. And so we have this idea of soteriology. And then eschatology, you look at towards the end of the verse. But the grain is ripe at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. There's several passages that point to what, is, what, what does harvest look like? You can see in Revelation that Jesus says that there, there will be a harvest of souls. Joel points to, in his prophetic uh, prophecies over what would happen at the end times, talks about the sickle coming and reaping the harvest. And so we have this idea of the end times. And then ecclesiology. So if, if we don't have any portion of what we do with, with God's word, like what is the church supposed to do? And we see that here too. We're going to get into that. But I would just say, hey, with, with those things, maybe even if, if some of those words are new to you this week, look them up. And then look at this passage again and just circle back and say, hey, that's crazy that you would see all of those things in four verses about a seed. But I think that we can do that. And we should do that as a people of God saying, hey, I've heard these ideas before. How, what do they mean? And we should challenge one another, and we should bring that up, because we all have different gifts, and some of us have the gift of being able to research and study and look for things. Some of us have the gift of time, and we can do that to, for others who don't have that gift. And so we as a church together dive into God's Word and see it. Two disconnected things action of the um, man who spreads the seed. He spreads the seed, then he sleeps, and then he rises, and then he sleeps, and then he rises, and it just seems like that's what happens. And, and how the seed grows, it says very clearly, he knows not. So we, as uh, followers of Christ, then become sowers of the seed, right? So it's God sows the seed, It's his word that's being spread. And then we as followers of Christ, we start to spread the seed. We we scatter the seed indiscriminately. We talked about that. And we don't know how it's going to grow. And we don't have to worry about how it's going to grow because God is the one who is growing up his church. He is the one who's bringing forth his kingdom. And that's what Jesus is saying here. The kingdom of God is like this, that it would grow up. And that there would be a harvest and that there would be glory to God. 
the seed, what does the seed do? It falls, it sprouts, and it grows. And those two things are disconnected. There's, there's something there for all of us today because we really want to be able to grow that seed in our own hearts. We really want to try to, try to um, enhance, quicken, expedite. We really want to grow up and mature. And yet there's something beautiful here that we are not in control of that. And the sovereign God who is in control of that is trustworthy. He's faithful. And so maybe this morning you're wrestling with that and you're like, man, I, I, just, I know I'm not where I'm supposed to be. That, that's not true. Because God is sovereign. So you're exactly where you're supposed to be. And he's using all of those things for both your continued growth and for those around you. And so we have to be careful with that. Like, we can long for growth. We can long for those things. But we have to be careful not to say, God, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. Because if he's sovereign, you are where you're supposed to be. And we can rest there. We can rejoice there. And we can thank God for what he's doing. A growing seed. Verse 28, the earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. You see, the farmer doesn't know how the seed grows. He, he's just casting out the seed. And, and you think about, like, Jesus' time, of course they didn't know how the seed grew. But we have all of the technology today. We have scientists. We know how the seed grows. Really, how does the seed take dead earth around it and turn it into life? Do we know that? We don't know that. Only God knows that. He made this. How does the seed do that? We don't know, and it's amazing. It's beautiful. It's a mystery that we get to behold and see the fruit of and just rejoice in. It's this movement through stages. Listen, if you sat here and you went out and you picked a blade of grass and you just sat and watched it, uh, A, you're going to be really bored. B, you're probably going to go crazy. Looking for something to change, right? Right? But if you go look at that blade of grass or look at that plant or look at that tree and then in five years you come back, you're going to see that, man, that has changed. That is growth. You see, the growth that's happening is, is done through stages and they're so incremental that you can't even see them. Even as you're looking closely in the moment, you don't see them. But what we can do is we can look back and say, man, five years ago, look at what God's done in our hearts and in our lives. Look at the grace of God that, that I missed in the moment because I was trying to see it and I can't see it because it's so gradual and patient and kind. But I can look back and I can compare over time and I can say, man, God, I was a sprout. I was in the dirt. I hadn't even sprouted up yet. And look, now, look what you're doing. And, and we can look at each other and we can say, no, this is what God's doing in you and it's beautiful. Like he's faithful. And he's kind, and he's working in your marriage, and he's working in your parenting, and he's working in your job, and he's working in the way that you relate to other people and kids. And we can see those things, and we can rejoice. This seed is growing up in our hearts. The Word of God is sprouting in our hearts. And we're beginning to realize that, that some of the sin was deeper than we knew. And it's okay, because God's covering over that sin. 
His blood is sufficient for that sin too. We can look and we can say, man, God, you've produced some discipline in me that I had no idea was there. You are kind and you are good and you are gracious. See, each of these stages, the the sprout, the blade, the ear, the grain, they're indistinguishable in the moment. From that, you, you don't see them happen. But by looking back, we can see that. The kingdom of God is the same way. Discipleship looks indistinguishable day to day, but one day we look up and our lives have an appearance of Christ. That is awesome. If you can look at your, your, the person next to you and you can see Christ in them, that is a gift that we have that discipleship takes time. It takes being intentional. And not only do we get to see it, but our classmates, our neighbors, our co-workers, families, they begin to see and to show if they're in Christ, they get to show the fruit of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit. You see, the, the seed, the Word, is powerful. Isaiah 55, 11 is beautiful. It says that the, the Word, my Word shall go out. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. You see, God, it's His word. He is faithful. He is all-powerful. He is mighty to save. And if His word goes out, it's going to do what He's called it to do. It's going to do the purpose that He sent it out for. The word shows its power. Again, Hendrickson in the New Testament commentary says this, It had been active before, but results had not been in great evidence. But now, men and women, old and young, educated and unlettered, rich and poor, jubilantly confess their faith and show this in their lives. The Spirit is working mightily, always in connection with the Word, the Gospel. Listen, that's, that's what the church does. We see what God is doing. We encourage one another with what God is doing. We rejoice that God would do anything with us, with sinners like us. And then we point to other people and say, listen, if that seed can grow in my soil, it can grow in your soil. And I pray that it would. And then look, let me walk with you. Let me walk with you and then Maybe you'll see some of what it's doing in me and we'll rejoice in that. And I'll see some of what it's doing in you and we'll rejoice in that. And all glory will go not to the church. We'll go not to our systems. We'll go not to even our, our methods of growth. But it will go to God, the one who is growing the seed. And we will rejoice. And out of that, there's this incredible gratitude that we have. That God would do that in our lives. And out of that gratitude, now I realize this is not mine. I can give it away. I can be generous with everything that I have. I can be generous with my time, my talent, my treasure. It's all God's. Everything that He's done, any fruit that I see, any seed that's growing up, when it becomes a blade and then now it becomes this ear that's producing fruit. God, that's you. You are so kind to us. That can be generous. With praise to God, I can be generous with the things that He's given me to the people that need. 
That's what we want to be. We want to be this kingdom of God that's growing up like these seeds. We get to do it together. For many of us, we still wrestle with this. Like, what do we do? That can't be all that we do. We can't just look around and see and rejoice. That's, there's got to be more. No, you look at the story of God. The story of God is he's called a people to himself to worship him. That's what we do. We see what God is doing. We give him praise and worship for that. We glorify his name everywhere we are. We give Jesus praise. What is my role in salvation? What is my role in sanctification? Our role is to watch what God does. Watch what Jesus does. Be patient with one another as God does these things. Not to look and say, oh, I'm going to watch and I'm going to wait until something happens because we're not going to see it. But when we just look out and we see what God is doing and then we circle back around later on to our own lives because that's really where we wrestle the most. God, I want to see you doing something in my life today. And we trust that he is. Like the seed that's growing, like the plant that's sprouting, like the blade of grass that slowly grows. We believe that God is doing the work. Verse 29, but when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Listen, we rejoice over the grace of God. So true. But there also has to be a call that there is a judgment that's coming. That there will come an end to this time on earth. When Jesus is coming back, it's not an if, but it's a when. Right? But when the grain is ripe, that's when the harvest is going to take place. This is a promise that we have. The word or seed of God is planted and it produces a harvest. Again, Isaiah 55.11, his word goes out and does the work that he's ordained it to do and doesn't come back void. And then at once, when, when the harvest is ripe, he puts in the sickle. There's two interpretations of this. One is the, the personal idea of salvation, that, that the seed is ripe, the harvest is ripe, the seed falls on good soil. The other one that we haven't talked about much is judgment. I love, you guys, you guys know me, I love that the Bible is so full of grace. The unmerited favor of God. Any favor that God shows, it's unmerited. And he's done it throughout time and history to a people, shown them grace. I love to preach it, I love to apply it in our lives. The reality is that we can't shy away from judgment We have to be able to look and see that the wrath that our sin deserves is a real thing. There will be people that suffer the wrath of God. And so we need to speak the word of God that says God is coming again. And there's going to be a judgment. You see, Matthew records a a similar parable about the field where the good grade is grown. Um, and, and the the grain is the seeds are sown, but the enemy comes in and he sows weeds at the same time. This is in, um, in Matthew thirteen, I believe. And and so the master tells the servants, like the servants come back and tell the master, "Hey, there's weeds growing up. What do you want us to do? Should we pull them up?" And he says, "No, because if you pull those up, you might pull up the grain too." So he says, 
Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. There will come a a time where Jesus is coming and he's going to call to himself his people. And there will be judgment against those who are not, who don't believe in him, who don't trust him for, for their salvation, who have looked somewhere else. And this judgment is what shows us what grace is. Like if we don't have the judgment, then grace is just this soft, nice thing. But if we have judgment and we don't have to sit under that judgment, we will not be judged and and bound up and burned, then we know what grace is. And we should be more motivated in our proclamation of who Christ is knowing that there are those out there that, that need the seed of God's Word being planted Prophet Joel speaks of the day of the Lord's judgment in Joel 3.13. Put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the wine press is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. See, the harvest is coming. James 5, 7, and 8 says this, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Listen, for, for some, that judgment is, uh, that coming of the Lord is, is scary because it's a judgment. For us, the coming of the Lord is this beautiful thing that we long for. Think about um, brokenness. I think about some of our experience of true, uh, whether it's in your body or in your heart or in your spirit, the the brokenness that we experience. You see, the, the good news is that the coming of the Lord ends that brokenness. And when He comes again, there will be no more crying and no more gnashing of teeth and no more sorrow because He will restore all things perfectly. Those that you've lost will be restored if they're in Christ. And the pain that you feel in your body will be restored. And you have a new body that won't have pain anymore. This is the good news that Jesus is going to come again. And He's going to restore and make everything right. <laughs> Quick caution. Right now you're, you're thinking about what right is. It's not that. <laughs> like, like, whatever you have in your head about what is perfection, it's not that. I guarantee, because God is so much bigger than we are, and His idea of right and perfect is different from ours, and so I'm thankful for that today. And when we get done with communion, and we say, Lord, come soon, that's what we're crying out for. God, will you come, and we will you restore, will you make all things right? And we trust that your right is perfect. So be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. The New Testament commentary by Hendrickson says, Since it is true, therefore, that the power to sprout and grow has by God been embedded in the seed, and man can do nothing about this after scattering the seed, all he can do is sleep and rise, sleep and rise, sleep and rise. The harvest is assured. 
Christ's kingdom, his royal reign, shall expand and shall one day reveal itself in all its splendor. That's the day we long for. The good news is that we can't change anything about it. (laughs) That's good news. Even as we want to change those things, as we want to fix them, as we want to make them right, we can't. But God can and he has and he will. Christ's kingdom, his royal reign shall expand and shall one day reveal itself in all its splendor. Listen, we can take this and we can just say, okay, God's got it. I don't have to do anything. Cool. Thanks, Joel. That's exactly what we wanted to hear. That's not, that's not the reality. God's got it and he's invited us to participate in it. So how do we do that? Like how do we, if we can't grow that seed anymore or any faster or, or any better, then what, what is our role? Well, we rise and sleep. We rise and sleep while waiting anxiously, anticipating that the harvest is going to come. You see, if, if we are called like Christ to, to spread seed, to spread the word of God, then we have the opportunity to be able to do that. And we, we would only spread seed if we thought it was going to grow. Does that make sense? Like we wouldn't just spread seed if we didn't believe that it would grow. And so we believe that the seed will grow and then we scatter it. We, we declare the word of God. We walk in faithful obedience because we believe that if that's true, then all of God's word is true. And what he's called me to do is to follow him. To walk in the righteousness that he's purchased for me. The simple act of sowing seed is so full of faith. This is what we're called to to do. To believe. To repent. To turn from where we had been trying to do it ourselves. To trust that God is doing it. And then to walk in that belief. Can we make it grow? No. You see, we do not sow what we, what we do not expect to grow. But if we can't make it grow, then should we just stop? No, we don't stop spreading the seed. Only God can do that. You see, 1 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul's writing, and he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. We scatter seed. We rejoice when we see it rising up because we know that that's what God is doing. We celebrate that. We give him praise for his work. And then we call others to walk in that same way. That's our role. That's what it means to be the church. We give God glory. We pursue all of his word. We want to know him more. Like the word that he's given us. We want it to take root. And we want to see it grow. And we look at our lives and we rejoice in what he's doing. We rejoice as we see the kingdom grow and the king, Jesus, produce fruit. Amen? Amen. God, we thank you, Lord, for a short passage this morning. So full. We thank you that the passage points to the fact that you, you're doing this. You, you have established your kingdom. Not only begun it, but you, uh, you will finish it, Lord, at the harvest. We thank you that it doesn't rest upon us, and yet you've invited us to participate. You've invited us to be the proclaimers of that word, uh, to be this, 
the sowers of that seed, to rejoice in seeing the seed sprout, the blade come up, the ear come up, the grain be produced, Lord. And we long for the day when you would harvest, when you would come and you would set everything right. God, we trust you for these things. We thank you that it's only by the power of your Son, the work, the gospel work on the cross, that he came and purchased for us. That your Spirit would make our hearts good soil, that we would even be able to believe this to be true. Thank you for the gift of grace, Lord. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.